On Friday afternoon deploy, we let the robots handle all the noise. Radio Shack. The, my my boss, the man that taught me how to prepare TVs, would always give me shit and say, "Come in here, drinking that fairy water again." <laughs> I'm just like, whoa! My, he was very, uh, very. Yeah, he was an archetype. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and Perrier was not something that men drank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not in this country huh? no <laughs> if you had to drink water it meant you were weak but you shouldn't mm-hmm. you should be drinking you know tap water tap water exactly <laughs> if it's in a bottle you're yeah. you're not strong enough yeah mm. yeah just uh i used to drink a lot more beer for social situations and then of course that died down I don't yeah, there, there were far less social situations. It gives you lots true. of headaches in recent history. You know, just a uh, single bottle of can of beer would just make my head drop. Certain ones will will do that to me. I'm not sure what it is like, like a uh, brown beers, especially if I had like I bet you if I had a Newcastle right now, I would I would be on my way to migraine city. Oof. Maybe brewers yeast. Maybe I, I like. Well, it doesn't mean you're not allergic to it. I know plenty of people that like milk that are lactose intolerant. Another one is or ice cream, rather. Right. I don't know if they like milk, but they definitely like milk products, uh, cheese, and things. Yeah, guilty. I got a touch of the lactose intolerance, and I hoover up cheese like it's going to run away from me. Yeah, our our middle boy. We're, we are suspicious. He is lactose intolerant because uh, he is a he can. He can uh, do some damage in the gas department if he's the wrong things, <laughs> and he he knows it too. And uh, but like last night, we sat down to dinner, and uh, we hadn't really had the lactose intolerance conversation with him. But for some reason, he's still just like, "I'm gonna drink all the milk." And he sat down with a glass of milk like this big, and chugged half of it, and then couldn't eat. And he was just like, "Oh, guys, I can't. Eat. I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't eat dinner." Like, what do you mean you can't eat? He's just like, must, I'm verping. Like, he ver, ver, oh, verping is his thing. Not, not his thing, in, as in, like, I mean, it is his thing, but it's also like he overuses the word, hmm. his thing. So, like, he's just like, I'm verping a lot. We're just like, well, maybe you should chill out on the milk. How much milk have you had? And he's like, yeah, that much. We're like, whoa. Yeah. Back it down there. Because then he also was like eating food with sour cream and cheese. Oh. He's yeah. Drinking his weight and milk. It's like, bro. You, uh, you Daryl. probably just want to take a break. Let's see if taking a break from from the cow helps you out. From the cow mucus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just tell him it's cow mucus. That might help. Well, there's so many people <laughs> that are lactose intolerant and don't pay attention to that at all. Yeah, they don't even aren't even aware that they're lactose intolerant because it's not so severe. Like most of the people that say they're lactose intolerant are like severely lactose mm-hmm. intolerant. And there's a bunch of folks who are just kind of like, ah, I eat ice cream and I poop too much, but I don't care because ice cream is better uh, than not pooping. So, 
YOLO. Sometimes, yeah. I probably yeah. fall into that degree. I'm I'm sure there are effects, but uh and and I have I have like gone to uh like soy milk and, and things like that. Um but yeah. yeah, still ice cream is is the best. Oh man, like I got a hold of though I forget what it's called, but it's the one that <clears throat> it's ice cream like, but it's not dairy based. Um and they make a lot of like sherbet like stuff like like that, whatever that stuff is. Um and the creamery out of Salem Springs, um, I'm forgetting their names too, because that's what is I do. Joy? The the joy one. <laughs> it, well no, it's Siloam. Is it is yeah. pure joy the one you're talking about? Yes, yes. So so we've got a subscription, so they bring they bring it to our house. Oh that's uh, nice. Yeah. And um and a couple months ago they had a chocolate um, one like that. That was awesome. I just hurt myself on it, but in a good way. There was no dairy in it, so it was also kind of like no holds barred. Where I was like, I bet I could eat half of this. I live here. <laughs> I haven't eaten <laughs> find out. Yet. Yeah. Never gone down there. No? No, it's surprising. It seems like the place I'd want to be. What I do miss is uh, having the office near Dixon. Uh, I don't have access to Burton's Comfort Creamery anymore. Oh man, that ten percent butter fat. Burns a heart. So good. Mm-hmm. Very rich. Well, as we all drink our various waters, <laughs> Perrier and Topo Chico, and then just like pleb water out of a plastic bottle over here. Um, that concludes our food segment. It does. We, <laughs> we 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 jumped right into the food segment. I like it. We came in strong. <laughs> Got it right out of the way. <laughs> Is this the part where we complain about allergies and water? <laughs> Which is uh, light for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No no mention of burritos. Although Burton's is a food truck, so that kind of falls in uh, in line. Um, but it is what it is. Um, so yeah. Uh, Welcome five minutes into everyone who's uh, <laughs> joined the fun. Um, we got Alan and uh, Christopher Hobbs. Uh, this is Chris. This is your first time joining as a lofty uh, team member. You've been with us a couple times, but we were fortunate enough um, to have the opportunity as we've grown as a company to uh, to bring you on. Um, onto the team. So welcome in that regard as well, man. Thanks. We're we're stoked to have you. Uh, We're already enjoying the benefits of, of more highly competent individuals on the team. Um, Yeah, it's been uh, awesome. I've enjoyed the the last, I guess it's been three weeks. No, is this the end of the third one or the end of the fourth? I can't remember. It's the uh, end of the fourth. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. I'll do your math for you. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been cool. It's nice being around uh, other intelligent people and, and uh, adults. <laughs> not, not, that, not that everybody at previous gigs were not adults, but in larger companies, you run into mm. run into a little drama. So it's nice to have people who are level headed. I'm having a yeah. good time and lots of interesting problems to solve. That's that's even better. We strive to reduce the drama, but increase <laughs> the interesting problems. Um, <laughs> in an ideal world, that's that's the balance we seek: is more interesting problems, less drama. Um, 
So and that's that's always good to hear because like that's I can't figure out how long you've been here, Chris. Because like I'm not even 100 percent sure how long I've been here. Yeah. I <laughs> pretty sure it's like four four years now because LinkedIn told me that. Um, but that's the only <laughs> way I knew. <laughs> and I even had to go back and double check and like do the math on it. Of like, did I put in the wrong year? Like. <laughs> <laughs> but, correct LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it's correct. Uh, but but I've been here long enough that you know that is something that we definitely try to squash drama and things like that and act like adults. And um, and then I hear other folks at at various industries and other positions that's a hundred percent not the case. And the only thing they have to live for is the drama. Um, and and uh, that's. That's something that I try not to take for granted, but I don't. I don't think Means about maybe very they often. don't have enough work to do. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That, they're the ones sitting there watching the clock, going, "Man, I wish, I wish it was four hours from now." And I'm looking at the clock, going, "I wish I could get four hours back because yeah, it's the end of the sure. day now, and I need more time." That's been the, the odd part of it for me is is that it fits within a I guess a standard workday. Uh, just coming off of working across multiple time zones and having a few crunches and stuff. And so I'm accustomed to working all, all hours. No, and it wasn't oppressive. Uh, there was gaps in the middle of the day where mm. there was not things to do because people weren't online. But uh, it's, I'm, I'm having to learn how to, how to have a normal job. <laughs> nice. But I'm getting uh, there. To, to speak to, to, uh, podcasty things, Chris. If there's a way we can get a little more volume out of your mic, that would be good. Yeah, Moss, Moss. Uh, Where's the settings knob in this? I don't. Como se dice volume? Anybody got that one? Anybody I ever said volume in Spanish? Uh, yeah, I don't. You could I say, don't know. Christopher, how would you say that in Portuguese? Do you have volume in Portuguese? Just a minute. I'm trying to find the settings. <laughs> one <laughs> one query at a time. He says, <laughs> yeah, like "You're not JavaScript. Right you're, you're not async. It's one of it's, it's one at a time on that one." And and to answer the question, volume in Portuguese is volume. Volume, but yeah, it's the same word. But I don't have an option to increase my audio, y'all. So you'll have to do it in post production. <laughs> oh man, but let me work. see if there's something on the on the machine proper. But if there's not, that's fine. I can strive to actually do things in post. Does not know. Let's see. This this multi tracks, doesn't it? It does. I yeah. I get a multi track and a bounce <laughs> down. And ideally, with the bounce down, too hot. Uh, I mean, it it kind of mixes it. So don't don't get lost in that for what it's worth. Um, okay. Well, I just maxed out the mic. Hopefully, I'm not. You're not distorting or anything. No, <laughs> I, I see no clipping. I see. I see nothing concerning, so leave it at the max. Yeah, he probably add a little a little compression to his channel in in yep. post and bring That's bring the flat. dynamics a little flatter. I'll have to remember to set those back when we get into meetings. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that is. I can tell it could be hot if you tried real hard right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can get on it. So, I'm, I need to well, find a good external mic. That's something I've been looking for for a long time. Uh, but one that's not like the snowballs or something that's massive, just something small. But the problem with those little boom mics is they're super hollow sounding. <laughs> I've still yet to find a microphone that I'm happy with. This is the closest thing, but I'm still not super happy with it. Uh, 
and maybe it's the the, the double edged sword of hearing yourself mm-hmm. and being weirded out by hearing your own voice not in your head. But I'm at this point I've done enough things where I've heard my voice that I feel like I know what my voice should sound like not in my head and I still don't like what I get from all the various microphones I plug in when we do the podcast. So who knows? One day uh one day I'll be on time but uh what I I threw that out there. This is a either song or album reference, but I've already forgotten it, so it's pointless. <laughs> Feels like something Radiohead would have said or done for what it's worth. Highly likely. But yeah. I haven't I've not been deep enough in Radiohead land <clears throat> recently. So it's all good. I well, know I should have been with all the rain we've been getting. That's that's usually my rainy rainy day music. Oh, is Radiohead your rainy music? Mm-hmm. I guess I it would have, it would put me to sleep though with like six days of rain, <laughs> just yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Good night, so much rain. I had aspirations of one point at one point of dividing, and this would have been in the days of the CD binders of dividing my CDs into like seasons and then also day and night. Like That's I wanted cool. to divide my music by mood. And uh, I never did that. But there were certainly times when I was like, you knew, like, there's times when you know a certain album or certain song would fit a mood, but I wanted to divide my music in that way. And I never took that on. And obviously everything is, well, not everything is digital inherently, but like, at least for me, I do the bulk of my listening digitally. I've got, I've got vinyls. I don't put a CD in anything to listen anymore. Uh, but yeah, like that was, that's where I wanted to be. Like for, in my mind, I wanted all that stuff. Like I never wanted to listen to Interpol while the sun was out. To me, that was blasphemous. Like you don't listen to Interpol while the sun's out and like a myriad of other like esoteric to me kind of stipulations for my music and listening habits. But, uh, I never did it. So I just kind of had to do it on the fly. Be like, what am I listening for? What do I want? See what rose because it's raining outside and stuff. I never kept my big binders organized. As as super organized a person as I am, for whatever reason, if I got a new CD, it went to the back of the binder, and that was it. I just didn't want to treat them like Pokemon cards, where you got <laughs> or whatever baseball cards. It was just too much. Once they were in there, trying to reorganize everything, it was a mess. I also did not put anything but the CD in there. I had friends that had like all the mm. um, cover art, the, the cover art and stuff, and I even oh, yeah, had next level. Yeah, a bunch of tapes, and I didn't organize my tapes either. You know, a little earlier, before the CDs, I had all these tapes in uh, these little car boxes, and I never organized any of those either. Uh, Just couldn't do it. I I organized mine by mixing them up. So I, was, <laughs> so I was I was super disorganized and would just have like in the back seat uh, a pile of CDs in the Fiat. I still have a modest pile of CDs of the ones I have left, basically. And I would just reach back there and grab whatever and then open it up. And it was usually a surprise because that's that's whenever I would swap them out. I'm going down the road and I would just need something to put it in. And oh, it's in that one. And then so I'm all like, oh, Metallica, open it up. And it's like, oh, Smashing Pumpkins instead. OK. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right the wrong cd in the wrong case i did yep. that f- quite a bit i uh i, I remember the last uh with the ramp the, i had a that uh, 87 dodge ram charger 
with a cassette player in it and I knew the only cassette I had was a Jimi Hendrix Band of Gypsies cassette <laughs> that I Not loved. bad. Yeah. And it was just like when I wanted to feel retro I'd slap that bad boy in. I eventually replaced I did I replace the radio on that thing? Surely I did. I eventually did because the oh because like three quarters of it died I couldn't do anything so I, I put a new radio in there uh, but there for a while it was just like when I wanted to feel authentic I'd go old school and put that that cassette in there and listen to Band of Gypsies and that was good but yeah never organized it that way either so here's a fun organization pivot because we've actually talked about this uh, recently um Chris, you're coming in and, and finding places that are uh, helpful to aid in our organization. Um, we've been talking about uh, how we're going to look at implementing stuff within CI specifically uh, to aid with organization, or even even pre-CI, because uh, obviously stuff implementing stuff about linters is linting isn't going to take place in CI other than linting errors, which will breed nothing but pain. When you put like linting errors, failing, stopping your CI, uh, that that always sucks. I remember uh, early on was it when uh, we had uh, uh, Sloan when when Sloan was Sloan was with us. He was fighting linting errors in CI all the time, and uh, it was it was pretty uh, pretty fun to read his pull requests <laughs> where he was fighting linting errors in CI. They were very colorful. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but but there's there's certainly in value in that organization in that standardization, and so yeah, I, I thought you know we we kind of mentioned that be something good to, to to talk about here as we're looking at what are ways to standardize things yeah. like linting and, and how to put that in place. So yeah, I always prefer to run linting not in CI. I don't like those things to block CI. I prefer for those things to be run. Uh, either before or shortly after a pull request, uh, if you're using GitHub or, or, or however you do your source control, um, I always prefer it to be run locally and resolve the issues first. But that, of course, and causes a lot of manual interaction. So, um, would typically wrap all of that in a script uh, and have people run it before they push their code and fix their bits and then go from there. Um, did a lot of that too with. Um, Static analysis tools, because but though though when it comes to static analysis, you might want it to stop your CI, right? But yeah. but then if you end up with you would have to set threshold levels. You end up with something that is maybe not an actual problem, but could be sketchy. You don't want that to make your CI fall over and scream at you. But I'm all for linting and formatting and handling all of that, uh, not by me, but just let the code. Uh, format itself. Sure. I, 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 what was it? It was a pull request that uh, Daniel put out recently that had a ton of uh, format changes. And I, I, I said that either you, either you or your linter is highly opinionated. And he's like, why not both? <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate. Well done, sir. Indeed. Uh, and, and then I, I said, well, uh, we should we should be sure if you're going to be you know doing letting the linter auto format uh, that were agreed upon things and to which he was just like I'm just I'm just using the linter files in the project I was like oh well <laughs> that's that's fun that means you're the only person running those files 
in the project <laughs> if if you're if you're inheriting someone else's code and the linter goes and, and does a bunch of stuff uh, that changes a bunch of things and no one else is running it so it's like okay cool that is good to know because um, yeah it's it's one of those things where there there are lots of places where it benefits to define things for the team um, just so that everyone's on the same page and that's to me that's one of those places because if we don't like the like the the worst of it is we're viewing a pull request full of auto format changes is terrible but also like having disagreements about what whether or not we're auto format auto formatting or and like who's doing it who's not and and then like when there's discrepancies between the two because i've seen that just go real sideways real fast so it's never fun <laughs> I th- yeah, if you're if you're doing it early on and adopt it, you know it's not really that big a deal. If it, if it's an older project and then you insert it in there, it's gnarly for a minute till till things get straightened out. Um, yeah, I've used uh, I've used Prettier before because JavaScript is definitely an area that I want the machine to do it. Like what, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever, as long as it works. Like Python, um, I like well enough that. I I usually don't run into a whole lot, except for the line length thing. Is usually like sometimes I I'm, I obey it, and then other times I think it just looks messier. And if it's a few characters over, like you know, not a big deal. And then another one I kind of like the machine to do, and I forget the name of this plugin. I put it into my Vim setup, so it'll it'll give me a little blue highlight which is the suggestion it's it's like this is not going to break things but it's wrong <laughs> and uh and that's in the imports so like in in a python file that can get really heavy really quickly um and so it's kind of nice to have a machine that goes in there and does what you're supposed to do there and and even that i have a few disagreements with like i guess it's a pep standard that you know they're they're basically they're in alphabetical order and i think I'm not sure if this is a part of it, but it's kind of been my own standard for like anything that comes with the Python standard library goes to the top. And then next would be like Django, you know, REST framework and stuff that I'm still using a lot, but I still installed, you know, and and then local imports is I usually put at the bottom like that. Um, And the other day it barked at me because I had spaces in between those. It's like, you don't put spaces in between your imports, but I kind of like spaces in between if I can keep that separated that I know, I know what's local, what's what I've installed and you know, what standard library. Uh, Aids in readability, I'm sure. And and then a note on the line length. I think for me, whenever I hit one of those line links, I stop and evaluate what I'm doing to see if it's in a, an indicator of maybe I have uh, highly specific variable names that need to be more generic, or maybe I've nested too much logic, or perhaps uh, the, the function or method that I'm writing at the moment uh, might uh, might be uh, doing too many things at once, and I could extract some of that. Uh, but I, I don't always follow it. I, I agree that sometimes things look ugly when you start chopping them up. But it, like one of one of the areas are on Django models. So like the field declarations, yeah. sometimes that'll go over, but also looks messy when you start putting down multiple lines. And I'm only going to look at it like the one time probably. So 
so that's yeah. definitely one I'm like that can go over a little bit that's that's fine because now you have to put in um, models dot cascade so like on delete you have to give it something to do which is new I guess with Django 2 even though that's been out for a while or yeah yeah I guess I was in Django 2 crap because we're already on Django 3.2 now boy slow down the clock guys no uh, it's 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 going nuts yeah, yeah I, I think that there's definitely a place where readability kind of takes over I mean you would hope that with like Pep Sanders at least with Python and other places readability is a consideration and and uh, Obviously, it is. That's part of why those standards are enforced. Mm-hmm. But when, when like what you define as readable versus what other people define as readable uh, differs, that's that's always the the fun part. So going in and then like modifying like what what your ignores are for your pep rules and stuff. And I think you can even you can certainly ignore the line length, but mm-hmm. I think you can you I think you can modify it to like I this is the so. line length I want to enforce with pep. Um, I think so, because, so, like, what is it? Like, it's 74 characters or something like that? It's not very long at all. Like, no, it's not. It, it's definitely got a real, like, a, a Sandy Metz kind of real tight vibe to it, where everything is super small, which I, I, I lean toward for sure. Yeah. Um, it is helpful if I've got multiple windows open um, in them, because they're pretty narrow. Uh, and then I, yeah, that's kind of when I'm like, ah, that's what's there for. That's yeah, what I think makes sense. terminal width is like 80 characters and I try to keep things down to 60. Uh, yeah. Just just for readability. I forget what the cutoff uh, years ago I was looking into typesetting a lot and there's some cutoff where we have great difficulty uh, picking up the next line if you're reading mm. like uh, text like sentences and things in a book and, and how to lay that out and, and I wish I knew where it came from but somewhere in there with typesetting at least for books 60 was some magic number for ease of reading I'll have to go back and cite that or you guys can scream that. at me when I've got it wrong and so I try to keep my code where I can in fact I'll put a column in my editor a lot of times at 60 characters and I try to keep things you know to the left of that line yeah yeah I've got one in my dim setup that that does that yeah that that's interesting because like I've there's sometimes some books I, I don't know what it is either, but I've I've ran into that and I didn't really I'd never really read or acknowledged about like kind of a known standard of there's so many characters that is optimal. But I, I feel it a lot when I'm on Kindle and then on my phone and it's really narrow like that. Sometimes I'm just like I can't even follow along and I have to turn it sideways so I can at least it feels yeah. like a book. <laughs> yeah. And then I, like I've got the old bookmark or something like <laughs> If you've ever done that while you're reading, it feels yeah, like for that. Sure. Well, and I mean, the, even to that extent, like this is obviously the inverse because we're not talking about like too long, but maybe too narrow. Is like I, reading emails or something on my phone mm-hmm. feels way more arduous than reading it on on something else because it just goes down. It's a sea of words. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. There's like 40 characters. A few of them are meaningful, but it's yeah. just like. There's no way I'm going to read that. And then I pull it up on a computer, and it's like four sentences. I'm just like, oh, okay. Uh, and, and so there, there's definitely a value to that, for sure. And then, I, like, on the other side of that, like, I think of every time I've hopped in a team uh, a team up session with someone, 
and we have that argument about like what's your screen size bro and there's like all the extra characters from like the session <laughs> trying to make the terminals match and it's just like oh okay cool this is still not standardized we, do, we, we still don't do this very well yet yeah, so, I don't use the high DPI displays because uh, I can't see anything. I'm like, I gotta have my Mr. Magoo glasses. And uh, people always hated pairing with me over SSH because I've got everything blown up, all massive, and they've got the pretty 4K displays. Uh, <laughs> so it's like this yeah. little box, and just yeah. like a, a watch. <laughs> I it's forget what Tmux put Tmux puts over there, but dots. it's definitely they're all yeah, it's all dots. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. yeah. I see it's funny. I'm sure that's a configurable character, though. It has to be. Yeah, uh, surely. Some nerds probably replaced it with a bunch of emoji by now. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Or yeah. at least ASCII art of some kind. That's like yeah. a pattern that repeats. <laughs> I was working through. Um, I was working through the Rust book last night, just just a little bit, kind of brushing back up on it. Basically, I just worked back up to where I had before. And I and I'll probably do that again, which is basically up to data types in there. I, I've gotten to there, and then I played around with the memory parts a little bit. But um, they had an example though in one of their "Hello World" examples that was an, an emoji. It's like, oh, that's the world we live in now. Rust will print heart emoji and things like that. But yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I was I, I was doing that because I was reading over some of the talks at Strange Loop, and yeah. one of them is uh, Rust APIs, Rust RESTful APIs, and so um, yeah, I may try and uh, and catch that one. Let maybe yeah. brush up on my Rust a little bit. I wonder how painful one. those are to write because I know that I mm. I absolutely detest writing RESTful things. Web anything in Go. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know that Rust is a little bit of a competitor to go, but it, it just really gets irritating fast because the, a lot of the scripting languages we use, uh, like Python, for example, or Ruby, or mm-hmm. pick, your, pick your scripting language, right? Uh, the It abstracts away a lot of the lower level stuff, and I don't have to think about it. And I've written yeah. some web things in both uh, Go and C++, and both were just nightmarish to get through. A lot of Go, Goes okay. I, I've used a framework um, called Gin, um, which, yeah, which, which made it pretty painless. It was, it felt a lot more like Flask and, and maybe a little bit like Spring uh, with Java. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, C++ I've only read about and thought, oh God. Like I, I was looking at a tutorial one time that I was like, how does render template? And they were like a line at a time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty painful. But, you know, the trade-off is performance, right? So right, you're, right. You're, you're creating developer performance for machine performance. So the instances that I was using Go and C++ to write web things was certainly the right tool for the right job, but that didn't make the job pleasant. So... Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'm. I hope to find out. Um, I like the last time I dabbled in REST. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get to where I'd done a stupid little CRUD app, like I'd done with React and and Go, and I wanted to do that with Rust one night. But it, it's like such a paradigm shift that I had to wrap my head around Cargo, their package manager, yep. before I can even begin to totally. to install Rocket, which I think is one of the the more popular uh, REST frameworks that they have. 
looked around awkwardly for a second. I don't know why though? Let's Google and Google on Rocket. Here. I can't. Oh. Yeah, I have I not yet used uh, Rust at all. I've kind of avoided it because the last few years I've had to pick up so many languages that it's just been there for a while um, uh, on my list of, of things to eventually look at. Uh, plus, I was letting a lot of the infighting die down before mm-hmm. <laughs> before I jump yeah. in on it. Let yeah. it let it settle and mature a little bit, and then go take yeah. a look at it. That, yeah, that's that's where I, you know, I it, it's it's science projecty to me. Yeah. Like it's interesting because it's different, but I have a hard time wholeheartedly adopting anything where the installation method is curl the GitHub repo. But that's <laughs> just about everything now, unfortunately. It really yeah, is, sadly. Yeah. But at least give me a wrapper around that or something that yeah. I don't feel like feel I'm just curling. <laughs> yeah. I'll brew it. Let me right, brew it so I don't realize what I'm doing. The, the side argument to that, though, is we trust package managers. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah. Like there's nothing bad in there. And not because this podcast is what it is with the gone JavaScript. It's not, it's not like we've never had anything nasty in NPM. Right? Fair enough. So, yeah. uh, le- left pad. That yeah. ate the world, of course. But there's been there's been nasty packages in other languages too, mm-hmm. or or not even just with the languages, but we trust the um, system packages for different distributions, and right. assume that nobody has gone in there and done nefarious things. So uh, I'm probably going to get yelled at for this, but I, I don't know how much worse curl is than you know than piping curl to bash than than pulling packages from somewhere because how often do we grab random half-baked libraries uh, from GitHub or wherever else? I don't think it's much different. Very progressive of you. You've got to vet your code sources. I mean, at the very least, open open that script first and just look. Yeah. And you read his flags. Yeah. Exactly. Where you place the trust is difficult too, because at some point you have to trust somebody or something. You just have to. Right. And, and you have to trust that the people that they trusted were trustworthy. Yeah. Like it just kind of this cycle of trust yeah. that How we build. How often do you upon. audit the dependencies of your dependencies? Mm hmm. No, not unless let's, I have to. Let's not ask that question. <laughs> I, it's funny you say that because like I had the moment of like getting cargo up and everything and cargo new project and and it had my GitHub username and email in there where I was like, I didn't tell you that. Where did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of package managers, right? Yeah, like, like that's when I wonder. Wait, what? What are you doing, Cargo? Like hitting the GitHub API, obviously. I uh, what did I use? Oh, Drill. When we were doing the, I was trying to remember what I did with Cargo recently. When we were doing all of the load testing, Drill is written in Rust, and you oh, use Cargo really? for that. Yeah, and so I realize that I've got Cargo on the company machine here because of that, and Rust by proxy, right? Sure. But, um, yeah, drills a lot of fun. Uh, What's, well, that's uh, why the Mac's complaining. You got Rust on there. <laughs> nah, mine's got Rust Probably. on it too. <laughs> it's complaining about everything. I, I had issues today where uh, VirtualBox just just wouldn't run. I guess there's issues with VirtualBox and, and Big Sur. Surprise, uh, uh, because Apple likes to protect you from doing anything you want to do, as long you know if it doesn't come from the App Store, it's not safe. Uh, so. Um, 
but yeah, no, it 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 was pretty impressive that uh, was able to run drill without altering any permissions or anything like that. It obviously needs access to the disk in order to read in your configuration files, and then it, and then it needs access to the network interfaces directly so that you can spam the daylights out of whatever you're trying to load test. So, um, yeah, I like it. I might look into its source code, too, uh, because that might be a good trip down. So I take it, I take it drill is a uh, load testing tool. Is it like Siege? Uh, HTTP load testing, yeah. Um, I've not messed with Siege. Um, drill is just... Uh, it's like it's like concurrent curl. <laughs> yes. You've got... Right. So, so basically, you... you uh, in YAML, naturally, you, you build out a file that contains all of the endpoints you want to test. You don't really... You can specify the method, but it does some stuff to try to infer what method you want to use uh, on an endpoint. And then you can give it some data and some fixtures, and then you just tell it to go. And the, you can tell it how how many concurrent workers you want, how long you want to do that, and if you want it to ramp up or just everybody dogpile. And uh, we did find, we, we pushed it so hard that my ISP started throttling me. So then we just moved it to Amazon and, and called it good. <laughs> we put it on a box. We put it on. Yeah, we put it on a box for uh, for loft. No, no, we put it in the clients. A box in the clients. AWS cluster, yeah. actually. But yeah, <laughs> ISPs do not like load <laughs> testing coming from their clients. Uh, no, it's uh, the author's username on GitHub is FCS Online. Frank Charlie Sierra, um, and it's pretty nice. Just HTTP load testing. Uh, mm-hmm. but I've used it in the past, and that's where my brain went. I was thinking initially when we were going down this road of doing some some load testing, I thought, well, let's just go with K6 and get super crazy. But then I thought about all yep. the setup and teardown for K6. And I thought, no, let's just let's just flail it. But, <laughs> well, I think long term doing some K6 implementation would be good. Um, mm-hmm. Or even put it in a cluster somewhere or something. Could uh, I also thought about JMeter, but JMeter is another thing that requires just all the effort. But I don't know JMeter. It's an Apache project. So, oh. Um, mm. It's and yeah, it requires a lot of setup. Uh, but once it's running, it's really great. The good. Oh, I was gonna say those. Those would potentially be good tools to have set up. Like what you know, obviously with with tools like that that are that robust, you, the good news is, is as long as you put them someplace, they're accessible for everyone. Mm-hmm. You get them set up once, you don't have to reset them up every time. So. Absolutely. Um, and now I know that JMeter does have a a graphical mode that you can use. In fact, I think that's the main feature. Uh, but most of what I've done with it was the command line mode because you know you. Just like how I had my ISP throttling me with drill, you can you can max out your connection pretty quick if you're not careful. And uh, hold on a minute, talk amongst yourselves. We do. <laughs> yeah. So I've never used drill, but I've used Siege uh, a time or two. It sounds yeah. like it's it's quite similar. Salsa. Yeah, it seems to be. I used the uh, Blitz for a while, um, but. Yeah, it, it, it. Thankfully, we found out that load was not the issue that we were dealing with mm. with this particular client, and we've since increased disk space. Um, gotcha. 
and then that that seems to have resolved that issue. But initially, we thought it was a load issue, and have 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 what ruled that out, so to speak. So sorry about that. I'm back. My yard continues to be the Tweaker Superhighway. Somebody just drove a lawnmower through my yard and off onto the road. So that's cool. <laughs> Did they at least mow the lawn while they went through? No, blades were up. They just drove that dude out of here. It was another one of the tweakers. So Lazy. Lazy tweakers. They don't even have to. There's nothing. <laughs> just pull. Just do the courtesy of, of pulling yeah. that blade on for a minute. So, good times. Back to load testing. <laughs> uh, when you're talking about putting them uh, in the same place... I think we could do that with things like drill or J meter or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that K6 is pretty uh, implementation dependent, is it not? Or maybe maybe the instances of K6 I, or the, the situations where I've used K6, it was it was just highly coupled because that's what people did. I don't know. I I actually could not speak to that. Yeah, I'm pretty See. sure it is. Excellent question. As we all start, <laughs> I, was just, I was kind of blown away by how the browsers, yeah, the uh, the siege website has not changed at all <laughs> in ever. I think <laughs> they do have the cloud. I'm not familiar with siege actually. It's look at uh, this Joe Dog yeah. software. Yeah, they're serving the internet since 1999. Mm-hmm. But it's on GitHub now, so <laughs> he's got the little true. banner. Yeah, yeah, it's not on not on SourceForge or wherever it was back in the day. Yeah, we've moved from Netscape Navigator and Blue Ribbon Free Speech Campaign things to fork me on GitHub ribbons. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> that's a very real thing. Oh man, K6 is coming out swinging against JMeter. Really? Yeah. I on mean, the- it's. On the site, still stuck with J meter question mark, and then you got people like taking a whiz at J meter. Well, I would say that K six is arguably faster because it's not running on the JVM. Well, okay, well, the, the JVM is not slow, but but Java can be slow, and it's, since it's written, K six is written in Node. I think uh, it's probably faster. Hmm. Wait, you, you said K six is written in Node? It is. Yeah, I just saw that. Look at there. Yeah, I think so. Everything mm-hmm. is in Node. It is what it is. Yeah, I think I think it's another instance. And I don't know. I don't know much about the... Uh, no, it's written in Go. Ah. I thought it was written in Node. Uh, well, it's got JavaScript interfaces. Because you write, you write all of your tests for it in JavaScript. But uh, I think that... I feel like maybe it's another instance of people have... Uh, JavaScript in their brain, uh, you know, JavaScript is their first language or whatever, and so it just makes sense to roll with it. I get that way with some stuff, too. Uh, uh, typically, uh, like Lisp and stuff, I tend to think in Lisp before I think in other things, but... Python for me, that's... Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I've managed to abandon Perl, though. Uh, it took me a long time to get that out of my muscle memory. That was my first language. This uh, first ever, I went from uh, Python to C to Common Lisp, and it was bananas. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah no doubt. 
So let's talk do you about still Pearl thinking, the other day. Do you still think in all like uh, parentheses or yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, those parentheses are the the power emanating from my functions. Although my coworkers <laughs> used to argue that it was all of the stray eyebrow hairs that fell into my keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a problem I had writing Closure was they cut down the number of parentheses. Closure is not uh, a common Lisp implementation, so you can't. So with a lot of common Lisps, uh, well, ideally with all of them, you can look at the hyperspec definition and understand what it's trying to do. Uh, that's kind of like the oh, it's it's kind of like the standard for for Lisp, right? For common Lisp and. Uh, Closure, they dropped a lot of the parentheses, and so back when I was on Closure projects, the build system would scream at me every time. And people always knew when I was writing code because there would be stray parentheses everywhere in the build system. I hated it, so I added to my syntax highlighting for Closure uh, back then when I was using Vim to to like scream put put stray parentheses in bright red mm-hmm. so that I would see that and stop doing that. So <laughs> that's awesome. What's funny is, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that kind of reminds me of. uh, I had to think about it. It was uh, Elixir. There was a a project that we had inherited that was written in. I forget the framework, but it was it was using Elixir. Yes, that's the one. Which is, I guess, I guess Elixir is a new language that uses the Erlang. Yep. Yeah, it's very. It looks very Ruby, and it it uses Erlang. And if I'm not mistaken, they follow Erlang's philosophy of let it fail, which is pretty great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a couple of friends that write Elixir for a living, and it it seems pretty neat. I've I've not uh, written much in it, but it seems like a neat language. See, I don't. So that's what's fun is like you. you, So you know some folks that write Elixir for a living, and it's just like we start talking about Clojure and Elixir, Elixir, and and and. all of these other languages that are very valuable, powerful languages, like you, the the user base shrinks considerably, at least in, in as far as like folks you know that use them. That that was one thing I was going to say was like we we brought up Strange Loop earlier in the call. I remember the first Strange Loop I went to would have been like five years ago, and I remember. Uh, the, one of the things they do is they get like once you're in they're just like hey here's the slack channel for this year's conference and everybody joins the slack channel and you can start like talking to folks way in advance and planning things and they've got channels for all your interests and i'm a runner so i join the running channel and i'm like planning running with with like randos that are going to be at the conference and you're just like oh i'm gonna run with people it's gonna be awesome i remember going on a run with guys that were riding in uh it was either, I, I think it was Elixir, and it was the first time I'd ever actually met people who like, made a living <laughs> writing code in Elixir. And I was just like, no shit. Yep. Real people write code and make money in Elixir. This is amazing. Like, it was it was a really cool kind of thing. And like and we talked about it at length because we were on a, on a run. And, and so that was one of the really fun things is, is seeing, because, yeah, it, it just, it seems far more narrow I don't want to say it seems more narrow than it actually is, but it, it definitely kind of like you lose sight of, of the practicality of a language when you don't use it all the time and you're not in a, at least in a, a geographical region, at least as far as we're concerned, where those languages thrive. Yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, it's fun to see for sure. Well, the downside of that is is some, sometimes how that happens is a shop goes all in and will adopt a thing. Mm-hmm. And then they can't find anybody to work on it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so, the, and then you end up with some very scary legacy code because as the user base is not very big, it's kind of lacking in standards in some cases. And so, not saying that that's the case with Elixir. Elixir is a fairly sizable language, I think, as far as community goes. But uh, and it's very mature. Uh, but I don't know what the number of well, for example, here we're using Python. I don't know what the number of uh, Elixir developers to the number of Python developers is if you're looking to hire somebody to hack on your project. Yeah, but oh, for sure. Well, like, and and uh, the well, you. I, was, I think you're going where I was going to mention, Alan. The uh, yeah. the Elixir project we inherited was a nest of angry hornets. Uh, <laughs> I found a helpful person on uh, Stack Overflow. I was up kind of late with them one night because I don't know what time zone they were in, but he was he was an it was a modest Elixir developer where like I I posed a question was kind of like, Hey, I'm a Django developer, got this Elixir project trying to make sense of it. Is this doing what I think it's doing? And he's like, yeah, but I don't know why, you know, kind of like, <laughs> what do you mean? And then, and then he, we chatted for a while in, in, in the stack overflow chat of it. And yeah, basically figured out that they had gone wild west even off of i guess some uh, you know elixir standards for doing stuff um but yeah it it seems fine like it's i you know one of the reasons i adopted python was just like to cover a lot of ground so that i knew with python i can i can do web development i can do data science things like Pretty much anything, which I mean, theoretically, it's possible, but like, there's probably a library for that in Python. <laughs> yeah, and that's another advantage of using a large language. You know, you end up with things that are kind of watered down, uh, but you also have a wide array of things to work off of. Uh, I, I, I didn't fuss very much. I mean, we all do it. We look at Stack Overflow and we we uh, search the web for our problems and stuff, but. Uh, I've recently come off of a few projects where there was no way to search for it. Nobody had done it before. Uh, and that's really frustrating. Or if somebody had done it before, there weren't enough somebodies to make proper documentation. And so uh, that's a huge benefit, I think, of using a larger language. And, you for know, sure. you might get some flack because you're not cutting edge or whatever. But um, in order to get things done, it's nice to have that, be able to move quickly. and. To, to circle back to previous conversations, so long as you pay attention to the code that you're including in the project, <laughs> if, if you didn't write it yourself, right? Uh, side yeah. note about Elixir, I, I appreciate that, the, you know, and they say it, in Ruby, everything's an object. Uh, one, one weird, uh, I guess you'd call it a feature of Elixir, is that everything's an expression. So that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that I makes about that. Make things a little little weird yeah. so if you think that way uh that might help and that might be a reason for adoption i mean that's another good reason for adopting a language is if you think in its paradigm you know? yeah but i don't know how much that makes sense because i tend to think functionally and i just strongly dislike javascript so <laughs> <laughs> different functional not like that <laughs> you're in you're in object land all the time anyway now yeah um but, but with with Lisp, it's all it's all functional. I actually have not written anything. And no, I take that back. Uh, about two months ago, I wrote some Lisp for myself, not for anything else. So I was going to say it's been a year or more than since I've written any Lisp. But no, nope. did it a couple months ago. 
How did you how did you fall on this for your first language? Uh, contract. Well, no, it wasn't my first language. It was my third language. I think I had. Um, I had. I so so. I started learning uh, Perl because I had awesome. this. Yeah, I had this old computer that uh, I found a, a Linux disk. How I came to Linux was through Minix, and that's a longer story. <laughs> but uh, it had um, Perl and man pages for Perl on it, and so I just kind of learned it like most people learn Basic. Uh, and so then I went from that to C because C was also present and the standard library was documented on the box. And I got pretty good at it and uh, wrote some stuff here and there. And then eventually I got a, you could think of it like an apprenticeship. I got a little little low paid project where some folks were, were using, uh, not closure, uh, common, steel bank common list. And so I got to dabble with that. And so that's when I started learning that. And so uh, it was, I, I have three milestones for programming uh, jobs that were my first programming professional things, and that one was one of them. Uh, and then, and it was a bunch of uh, it was a bunch of business filing things. And then the the second one was uh, the first paid programming project I ever had was in Java, and I learned Java just for that. And we were writing uh, little WAP applications for cell phones, and I couldn't believe somebody sent me a check for that. It was ridiculous. It was like a couple hundred bucks, and it was outsourced stuff, right? And then when they mailed me a check, I wrote this little this little game that was like a kind of a shell game type thing with gladiators and there was just text and they sent me like two or three hundred bucks for it i was like no way that's not possible but then my first like actual professional like i show up to work job and get paid uh that had programming associated with it was was rpg on an as 400 but all of that memory lane to say that somebody uh, a family friend knew that i was learning how to program and knew how to write Perl and c and then and then they were working with somebody that had this business logic stuff, business file stuff that was in Steelbank Common List, and they were looking for essentially a data entry person. And it was a little summer thing, and it turned into we could pay you for data entry, or we could not pay you and teach you how to do this, and you could do this for free, and we would get all the work out of it. And I was like, cool, let's do that. I want to learn a thing. I can mow lawns for money, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so that's where that came from, and I just kind of fell in love with it. Uh, it worked really well. I think the thing, the thing that clicked with me is uh, because I used RPN calculators uh, when I first learned about the reverse parenthetical notation, notation thing. Uh, it, the code reads like that. It reads kind of backwards, right? And I was like, oh, I know what it's doing. This is cool. And then I very quickly realized that I had no idea what it's doing and then started to totally obsess over it. And that's where that came from. So about once or twice a year, I go back to it. There was a time period. There was a, about a two-year period where I worked heavily on a couple of common list projects. And then for about six months, I worked on a closure project. And I really enjoyed those. I don't know if it's... I don't, I don't know if they're viable things. You know, uh, Common Lisp, I think, never really took off because there wasn't much of a, of a package manager. You know, Quick Lisp happened a while back, um, but at the time we had the CPAN, and we had, um, you know, we've had RubyGems, we've had all kinds of packages for Python and, and JavaScript and whatever, and I think a lot of Common Lispers out of nowhere went, oh, hey, we're just passing code around. It would be cool if there was a, what do you call it, a package manager. <laughs> And so I think that's a lot of what really cut down uh, the ability to use Lisp. 
It would have been fun to have seen all of that during the rise of the 80s AI. I would have loved to have seen some of that code, but I'm sure all of that, there's no way any of that's public domain by now. I'm sure it's all just rotting in AT&T basements or something. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> a lot of fun, yeah. Anyway, that, that concludes Christopher ranting about Lisp. But <laughs> that's good. No, well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. It's fun to hear kind of like origin stories because I know I, you know, I my my journey being very different was starting kind of in the CMS land, and then recognizing like, oh, this is this is terrible, but the tools that it provides me, like I I have access to stuff, and um, I, you talk about like one of those milestone moments. I remember it wasn't my first freelancing job. I I had freelanced quite a few like. CMS install, build, configs, all that stuff. Because I was, I was, quote unquote, devopsing as, as much as you can in like GoDaddy instances where you're like FTPing everything and all that uh, CMSs. Uh, but uh, I remember the first time I got my uh, my first big, uh, so to speak, freelancing gig, and I uh, I gave my rate, and I had been talking with someone. And they were talking about, like, just, like, go high on your rate, man. You'll be surprised at what you get. And I uh, I gave them $100 an hour freelancing rate. And they didn't bat an eye at it. They're like, yeah, sure. Cool. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> dude, I freaked out. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Because, <laughs> you know, at that point, gosh, you know, I'd, I'd worked all manner of other jobs and, and made, you know, decent wages for the time. Um you know, upwards of like 15 an hour. I don't think I'd gotten anywhere near 20, but like decent, decent jobs. But then all of a sudden someone was willing to pay me $100 an hour to wrangle some PHP. And I was just like, this is the future. Yeah. The moment you get a paycheck for it the first time is a little weird. Uh, (laughs) That's when the imposter syndrome set in hard, but I I was definitely an imposter in those days because I had Mm -hmm. no idea what I was doing. I was just getting after it. Right. But that, yeah, the first paychecks were were weird for for programming. I mean, but. for sure. Can you all hear the lawnmower? <laughs> is he is he making laps now? Is it like Daytona five hundred but on a lawnmower? I hear it. I don't know if they're coming back or not. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, is it, is it a lawn tractor or yes. is he like yeah, on a zero a radius? It's a tractor. That'd be impressive if if he was on a zero radius out there. That's for yeah. sure need to repair the fence <laughs> <laughs> apparently yeah so yeah and then i remember my other big one was when i when i got my first full-time programming gig because i had the uh i had to get that job um created basically uh in a sense because it was it was at the local um public radio station and I had been working part time for them for a while, and was at that point what like been freelancing for a while, and 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 was you know doing a lot of programming beyond just like CMS stuff, obviously. And uh, then I, I had to, I created a, a a job. It was was it? I don't know if it's it wasn't quite a job proposal, but basically I had to prepare a document and take to the station manager. And be like, hey, you need a this, and it is me. And uh, he was just like, he like looked it over, 
And he's just like, yeah, that works. Okay, hold on. I'll get clearance. Let me see if I can get clearance for this. And, uh, and then he did. And I was like, what? Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. That was a crazy experience to, to kind of come go to a, 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 a boss and say, I want to work here all the time. This is how I do that. And this is what it looks like. And he was just like, sounds good. Like sweet. So it's weird when strangers trust you, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. It can't terrifying. be. Is, yeah. Well, and and then the next the next milestone, like you you mentioned three milestones. So th- those would be my first two, and my third, if I was going to have a third, was the first time I got headhunted. Oh wow! Because it, it like like uh, the first time like because it was like I, it wasn't even intentional. Someone was talking to me and they asked some questions, and sounds like yeah, yeah. And uh, they told me about the job, and and um, and and just started asking questions about that. And it was it I didn't have uh, an awareness of. And, and and I'm one to always kind of rail against the overinflation of quote unquote perceived value of, of our industry, um, yeah. Because of, of of what it does to just to people, it, it makes a really crazy world that we work and live in as developers. But it was definitely one of those things where it was the first time someone had gone and said like, you know, I was I was working public radio. This was I got headhunted out of my public radio job, and so it didn't take much to to, <laughs> to beat a public radio salary. <laughs> Let's be real. Yeah. But when they came and almost doubled it, and I was just like, say what? <laughs> Uh, and, and that was, yeah, imposter syndrome hit hard there. Cause I also went from public sector to private sector. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. uh, wait, back, I, I always get that backwards. I think I went from, no, I think that was right. Public, yep. Yeah. Public sector to private sector. And, and I instantly think of ghostbusters when, uh, <laughs> when he's talking about like, he, uh, when the, he's talking about the potential that they're going to make him, uh, uh, get a real job. Uh, but Dan Aykroyd. And he's just like, I've been, I've been in the, in the private sector. He's like, they, they, they're crazy. They make you work for a living or something like that. <laughs> Basically when he's just like scared to leave a university and go work yeah. at, a, at a real place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my, my boss at the time, um, gave me a lot of warning about that. Cause he was saying, he's just like, Hey, look, uh, I, I know what that university job is like. My, my wife works at the university. He's just like, you're going to work harder than you expect. And I liked that. Like I was, I was actually one of the things that, that made me even open. I mean, the money was nice, but one of the things that made me open was I felt underutilized where I was. And it was kind of, it felt like one of the things that they did to kind of compensate. We're like, well, we're not going to pay you a lot, but we're also, you know, you're not going to have to work that hard. It'll be fine. Just kind of like show up and do some stuff and whatever. It's just like, okay, that works. Cool. Uh, and uh, that's when on the other side, he's just like, hey, we'll, we'll almost double your salary, but you're going to work way harder than, than you've had to work before. And I was like, I'm cool with that. And then I like felt the reality of it. I was like, oh, like, okay, cool. Now, granted, this was like, I was hired as a programmer and I was writing, I, I was writing C Sharp. I was writing uh, web stuff. I was doing all kinds of programming. And on top of that, like I was one of, one of three IT guys. So I was also fixing printers fixing uh scanners fixing networking oh, to, yeah. uh, fixing laptops so i was doing all Out of that of like I was, I was the programmer quote unquote for, like the only one in the company but i was also like every other thing connected to a computer i was fixing <laughs> it and so i was i was absolutely working non-stop i wasn't i wasn't overworked but they definitely pushed that envelope <laughs> like real they were, i was running the red i wasn't just like burnt out yep. but i was definitely running in the red a lot and uh so that was a big shift for sure uh yeah. Sorry, that kind of that was 
<laughs> it's a weak landing on that one, don't it? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And done. <laughs> but as far as the imposter syndrome goes, I still feel that every time I get a project where a new project where the scope of work is not something I'm accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Like I know the tooling well. I know how to build the thing, but I've never done the thing that they've asked for. I know it's possible, just not done it. And so um, even if it's tooling that I know really well that I've used forever, I still get big, big imposter syndrome where I'm hyper confused about, oh, maybe I can't do this job or whatever. So um, it's, it's amazing to me that that's still there even after however many years I've been doing this, but it's well. I think that's that's reassuring to folks who haven't been doing it as long. It is for me. <laughs> I because uh, yeah, I've experienced that quite a bit since I've been at Lofty because we that that's almost what we do. Like sometimes you get lucky and you get two domains like back to back, but yep. a lot of times it's we need this business problem solved with Python, and we're like, okay, Python, but what's this other thing? Uh, but yeah, that's uh, it, it's also exciting, but um, for sure, yeah, you you kind of it. What I think my my method for that is just not, you know, at first you see the whole thing and you're kind of like, oh crap, but to just keep it like a bite at a time, you know, what you need to do like in this sprint and 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 kind of take it to sprint at a time like that. Yeah, and it puts a lot of weight on discovery processes as well. I think. Mm to understand the problem domain is, is working in of itself. So yeah, hundred yep. percent. Very valuable. Well, we're, we are running a bit long and into about to crush our lab day closing ceremonies. And I haven't even gotten to bore you with my hobby mathematician books yet. I downloaded, I downloaded the code. No, Escher Bach. What's wrong with you, man? What? No, what? No, go to Escher Bach. Not yet. I'll get there. Give me a break, man. Give me a break. I can I can only read so many history of mathematicians books at a time, bro. I've already gotten through the code book. It's great, by the way. I've read through this one. I brought it just in case I like wanted to try and speak intelligently about it, which I wouldn't be able to even with the book in my hand. But at least I could reference like things in the book. And then yeah, I've just gotten to. Uh, in the annotated Turing, where we're actually going to start reading through Turing's papers, all the back, uh, all the backstory. I'm all caught up on and like learning about all the fun things like transcendental numbers and all that stuff. I'm just like, what axioms and like, very cool. Yeah, it's it's uh it's exciting and and so I will I will gladly bore our listeners in the near future with that information, um, and was equipped to do it today. But no, we had more meaningful things to talk about. <laughs> See, now we so need a whatever. book club podcast. We do need a book <laughs> As club. As if we podcast. don't have enough yeah. things to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> we we need to we need to the book club hasn't read a book in a couple of months, so we definitely need to get mm-hmm. that back up and running. But um, we'll 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 get a podcast to correspond to it. I think we've talked a little book club and podcast before, but most of the time those have been independent. So. Book club's coming again real soon. I feel like I'm feeling it in my bones. Once awesome. I'm done with this one, I'll make everybody else read it too. Probably. <laughs> That's what I'll do. So, I, that I mean, one's Uncle been Bob on my list. It, so it's got to be. It's got to be good if Uncle Bob recommends yeah. it, right? That one's been um, on my list for a while. Um, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, 
uh, it's been fun. Let's uh, head out and go to some closing ceremonies and see what folks have built for lap day. Yes, y'all. All right. See you. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yep. Bye. See you. Thanks for listening to Friday Afternoon Deploy, recorded and produced by the team at Lofty Labs. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to future episodes via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also follow at Friday Deploy on Facebook and Twitter for episode previews, live streams, and other behind-the-scenes peaks. Past episodes and show notes on this episode can be found at friday.hirelofty.com. That's friday.h-i-r-e-l-o-f-t-y.com. If you'd like to contact the show, or if you're local to the Northwest Arkansas area and would like to be a guest on the show, you can email us at podcast at higherlofty.com.